The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome. To episode number three of Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galina, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Chu. And you can follow him at If the Chu Fits. And I mention that because you follow Scott and you get to see him model one of the coolest Detroit Tigers baseball caps I've ever seen. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, Joe. I'm uh, I'm very full. Just had a, a my grandma's birthday is today, and she made a huge, huge dinner, and I eat way more than I'm supposed to. I kind of like budget throughout the week to get to it. And I am like almost uncomfortably full, but just enough that like I'm still in the happy place. Right. I, it, one more plate, I'd be out. But I, I'm in a good place. I'm proud of myself, really. Nothing like a home cooked meal from grandma and happy birthday to your grandmother. And great to have you with us. So it's been a, a, a an exciting week. Right, uh, TGFBI kicked off last Monday. That's the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, and that is a series of 29 individual 15-team leagues. In my league, Scott, I, I picked from number three, and we're in the 27th round right now. Well, what, uh, where'd you pick from, and what round are you in right now? By the way, we're recording this March 7th of 2021. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're in the 20th round, about halfway through it. Uh, you know, Eno Saris is in my league. It's it's wow. his pick right now. He's in the middle, and uh, you know, we're moving right. We're twentieth round. It, it's it's not so bad. My, my team's okay, right? Like the, the, one of the hardest things about the the great fantasy baseball invitational, which which is just a great thing that Justin Mason puts on for us every year. But one of the most difficult things about it is like you're in a room with a bunch of people who who do this in some form or capacity, right? They do podcasts. They write articles. It, it's really like the the value is almost impossible to find. I mean, it's just like doing any other, you know, high stakes league, you know, analyst league. It's it's tough, right? You know, like normally in your home league, you can kind of wait around and be like, well, I know this guy's going to come back to me. I know no one else is on this guy. He's going to come back to me. That just doesn't happen here, right? If you if you think you can wait around on a guy, like just just be ready to have your heart broken every single time. Forget about it. Forget about it. And pitching went off, flying off the board. You know, and and like you said, if you really like a player, you got to go get them because 
a bunch of sharks out there, right? So, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, and maybe next week we could talk a little bit about what our teams look like. It's a slow draft, four hour clock on each a pick, and uh, a lot of fun. Kudos to Justin Mason for putting it together. And he raised over $8,000 for a mental health charity. And one of the hardest working people in fantasy is Justin Mason. Yeah. I mean, he's he's my other boss, right? Because I, I do podcasts and stuff for Friends with Fancy Benefits. And I mean, he, he, he outworks the competition. That's why he's here, because he, he keeps putting himself out there. He keeps writing. He keeps podcasting. He keeps you know being Justin Mason. And it's probably one of my favorite things about him. Yeah, Mental Health America is a charity that he raised over $8,000 for. Uh, check it out. Uh, donate if you can. But look, let's dive right into this. We have a lot to get to in the show. We're trying to tackle third base and catcher position today. And we know your time is precious, and we appreciate you listening. And so we're going to focus on the players that we think that you might have the most questions about and might be considered uh, the most polarizing. And as we dive right in, uh, basing uh, our discussion, we're going to f- with the, the analysis that you did over at PitcherList.com. Going to lean on your player rankings, and you put Jose Ramirez as an elite player, of course, and he's in a category all by himself. Some news came out today about Ramirez, uh, though. Scott uh, violated uh, COVID protocols. He and teammate Framil Reyes. Uh, both on the Cleveland baseball team. They were having dinner inside a restaurant after Reyes had gotten a haircut and both need to stay away from the team and basically pass a COVID test before being able to rejoin the Cleveland squad. Yeah, something to talk about for sure, right? Something to to fuel baseball stories for the next few days. It has no impact on how I'm right. drafting Jose Ramirez. He's in a tier of his own because essentially his ceiling is in a tier of its own, right? We've seen some of the guys we're going to talk about be very, very good, but in terms of five category production, elite five category production, that's Jose Ramirez. And it's not anyone else at third base. Mm -hmm. Nolan Arenado over with the Cardinals, big trade, right? Coors effect. We talked about it with Trevor story. When you look at his numbers uh, at home, over the years in Coors Field, 322, 376, 609 slugging, away 263, 322, 471. We talked about this last week with Trevor Story, the uh, article that you referenced, uh, Mike Petriello, the Coors Effect. Maybe you could you know, talk to anyone that owns Arenado in a dynasty league. Talk him off the ledge. Yeah, so the first thing you got to do is remember that there's more to the Coors Effect than simply having a nice home park. And the biggest thing is, so the air density is probably the biggest thing. The humidor helped to change some of the atmospheric conditions on the ball itself, right? A ball with water in it is heavier than a ball that doesn't. It's really dry up in that altitude. So the balls didn't, so they have a humidor that helps. But basically, the ball travels differently through the air because the air is so different, right? There's a huge difference in the air density and atmospheric conditions up in Colorado than they are maybe like down by the bay in San Francisco, right? It's just totally different. And so if all you did was said, oh, well, the real hitter for Arenado is the guy on the road, you're missing the point. Because what happens is when he goes on the road, he starts seeing pitches that move a lot more than they did the day before when he was up in Colorado. So you really like the easiest thing to do is look at other players who have left Colorado and you'll find often that they are pretty close to the guy that they were in Colorado. Right. There's a slight downgrade, but they're not what they were on the road. They all have extreme splits, and it's because of the atmospheric conditions, not because going to Coors makes them a better hitter. That's just not how Coors works. 
It just gives balls more places to go. Pitches don't move quite as far, so it's easier to hit some of the more elite breaking balls. But basically, if you're worried about Arenado at the end of last season, you can be worried, right? But not because he's leaving cores and going to Bush Stadium, but because he played hurt, right? So he's uh, he hurt his, elbow, uh, his shoulder on a diving play, didn't really realize it at the time, wakes up the next day, he thought he slept on it wrong, and plays through it for several weeks. And if you go to the rolling charts, I've got one in the article, it goes straight down throughout the season. He just really has a rough season, unlike himself. And really the reason is his shoulder was hurt. So, you know, do we expect Arenado to be the, you know, borderline first round pick he was in years past? No, but we also wouldn't have done that if he had stayed in Colorado, right? right. That that was already changing. Don't think that the price has changed on Arenado because he's left Colorado. Like, that's a little bit of it. The real issue is, like, he's just getting a little older. He played through some injury last year. And so we're down on him a little. And, quite frankly, the talent at third base is up. So you don't be so worried about him, right? He's actually probably got a better chance to get counting numbers here in Bush Stadium than he did in the miserable lineup that's remaining in Colorado. So, yeah. you know, I, I love him at the, at the current, you know, ADP. I like him a lot as a power hitter who can really rack up the sets. And will his batting average come down a little? Yes. Will it still be very good? Yes. Right. All those things that people talk about. 290, 35 home runs, 100 RBI. I could see him doing that very easily. Yeah. And I know I'm talking a lot about Arenado here. And it's just because, like, there's a lot of guys at third base we don't need to say a lot about because they sort of are what they are. Arenado is one where there's a lot of talk about him. And to me, it just it's. It's slightly off, and I really right. want to take my few moments where someone might be listening to me and tell them that it's wrong. <laughs> there you go. Nothing wrong with that. He's in your near elite tier, and another guy, we won't spend a lot of time on him, but he's uh, also right behind him is Manny Machado. Uh, get him in the second round of a typical 12-team draft, and the difference in Manny Machado in 2021, the difference between him from today to let's say 2017 or so is going to be the stolen bases. He's still going to put up some some big numbers. Yeah, I mean the the hitting stuff is easy, right? Yeah. Like he's probably going to hit 30 home runs. He's probably yeah. going to hit for a pretty good batting average. Sometimes he gets unlucky and gets these like sub 260 batting averages. I can't sit here and tell you why, right? Because it's not the talent. The talent stays about the same. So like the real issue, of course, like you mentioned, is he going to steal bases? And he su- stole a surprising six bases in the shortened 2020 season. And a lot of places are projecting him to get to 10. I'm not, right? Like, that'd be really cool, but I'm not using that to influence where I draft him, right? I'm thinking more like five to seven, maybe like the six he got in the shortened season, because this team's going to hit. They don't need him to steal bases. So if I pencil in the five to seven and he gets more, I'm happy, right? I'm not adding more than that, though, to my projected stolen bases for the end of the year, just because it's a good way to get disappointed. Mm Mm-hmm. Alex Bregman, uh, Houston Astros, had a subpar year uh, like many Astro hitters, batted uh, 242 with a 350 OBP and a 451 slugging percentage, way off his career marks, missed some time with a hamstring injury, and, and now he uh, hasn't made his spring debut. And like I said, we're, we're taping this, uh, recording this on the 7th of March. Any concerns, first of all, about his downturn, uh, and second of all, do you think it's just the Astros being overly cautious with this hamstring issue, or do you think that because there's been a history of it, we should be a little more concerned? I, I mean, you can be concerned. I don't know to what extent that changes how you draft Alex Fregman, right? Because 
there's two types of people in this world. Uh, I mean, there's more than that, of course. But in fantasy, either you believe in Alex Bregman, right? Because despite all the scandal, those stats he put up were insane, right? 17.2% walk rate to a 12% strikeout rate, 423 OBP, 41 home runs, 122 runs scored, 112 runners batted in. It was insane, right? And you can bang all the trash cans that you want. They won't get you to 41 home runs. Right? That's just not how it works. So it's interesting to note that his performance against breaking balls went way down in 2020. And that's what they were using the trash cans for. I am not going to sit here and tell you that it means he's always going to be this bad against breaking balls. He was actually this bad when he debuted as well. Um, and then got much better in 2017, 2018, 2019 kind of fell off again. I have a really hard time following Astros as a whole, not because of the trash can thing, but because they all just struggled so much last year. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for a lot of reasons, and some of it might've been the trash cans, but it doesn't matter what I tell you about how good or bad. I think he is. The, the simple question is most people already know how they feel. They either feel that the trash can made him the player that he is, or they don't. And you need to know where you fall on that. I mean, you could very well fall somewhere in the middle, but you need to know what kind of risk you're taking. He might not be as good against breaking pitches because he doesn't have someone telling him when they're coming. Right. That is a real possibility. I'm not saying that is not necessarily what will happen. He's Mm -hmm. still a very good hitter. He still has plate discipline that is absolutely elite. He's only 26 years old. Right. There are a lot of very good things to say about Alex Bregman. There's a possibility that the breaking balls are still going to he may struggle against them a bit, which is normal. They are hard to hit. His success against breaking balls from 2017, 2019 is really, really impressive until, of course, you learn that they were banging on a trash can. So (laughs) the the question is less like, is he totally bad without trash can? No, right. That's just not what he is. But I don't know what he actually is. And if you think you do, please tell me because because I have yet to find something confident. So you just have to really understand your risk tolerance when you're deciding whether you should draft Alex Bregman. When you talk about the trash can issue and, you know, you talk about Bregman slumping, Altuve slumping, now these are two very talented hitters, no matter, you know, if they knew that the pitch was coming or not. But still, does it you think that it might affect you long term, at least where, you know, you got so used to knowing what was going to come that it affected the way that you, you did your prep? And now that that could affect you for the short term where you have to kind of get used to, you know, playing the your own mind game with, with the pitcher, trying to figure out what's coming. I mean, it, it very well could. Right. It, it's really hard to put a measurement on yeah. how much trash cans help you. Right? <laughs> right. We just don't know exactly. Right. But here's what we do know. We do know that guys like Altuve turned it on in the playoffs. Right. They had a rough year. And, and let's not. Let's not like say you know, Bregman's year wasn't totally trash, right? Like a 242 batting average isn't great, but a 350 OBP, 451 slugging. He still hit a couple home runs. Like he wasn't horrendous. Above average uh, line drive rate. I mean, some, in some ways, his slump almost didn't make sense, you know? Yeah, it, Other than, still, But you brought up a great point about the breaking balls. But the, the main positive. thing I want to point out, yeah, is that Altuve like turns it on in the playoffs. Hits like as many home runs in the playoffs as he did the whole regular season. Like he ends up turning it on. Bregman doesn't. The playoffs are a really small sample, right? But if you add it to the regular season, you at least get a little more than you had, right? So it's really nice to see a guy like Altuve in those extra games really ramp up the stats. Bregman doesn't. 
Am I saying that's a reason for concern? Not necessarily, right? Like, he still had a 123 WRC plus, right? So he was still like an above average hitter. He still walked as much as he struck out. Is it, but there is some concern and you just have to understand how you feel about it personally. I can't tell you how to feel, right? Like I still think that there's a very good hitter in here, right? Maybe not the, you know, superhuman Juan Soto like hitter that he was in 2019. Cause that's what he was. He was essentially Juan Soto in 2019, right? Mm-hmm, With mm-hmm. that kind of walk rate, that kind of plate discipline, that kind of batting average. I don't think that, you know, that's going to be hard for him to get back to. Per- that's what I personally think, right? I think the, the trash cans may have taken him from a, to, from an elite player to a superhuman player. But now he could still very well be a very good to elite player. I just don't know exactly where in that range he's going to fall. It's almost like that argument from years back with steroids. You know, steroids, if a player who was already good took steroids, it made him great, right? But he still had to have some skills. Yeah, Barry Bonds wasn't bagging groceries before he took steroids. Exactly. Right, right, right. <laughs> he was already like uh, an all-star baseball player. Right. All right. So uh, let's skip over. We got DJ LeMayhew and Anthony Rendon in this nearly tier of yours, and I don't think we need to spend much time on them. DJ LeMayhew, we've spoken past couple weeks because he's eligible at first and second base as well. And Anthony Rendon, uh, look, there was a little bit of a delay to him seeing some some action this spring because of what was being called general soreness, but that's okay. I, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year. Basically, he's going to you know hit between 25 and 30 home runs every year. And surprise you with, you know, mid-30 production here and there. No issues with him, right? We can skip over to Rafael Devers uh, from the Red Sox. Get him in the fourth round. And like the rest of the Red Sox, he kind of slumped at the plate as well. There were questions about his conditioning uh, prior to the 2020 uh, season. What are your thoughts in terms of him potentially having a a bounce-back season? Alex Cora back as manager of the Red Sox. Maybe things start to fall back into place? I really like Rafael Devers' bat. Right. So you know, really that whole tier like LeMahieu, Bregman, Rendon, Devers, to me, it's really, really tight. Like, don't get too hung up on exactly how I ranked those four hitters. LeMahieu, Bregman, Rendon, Devers. I can hear arguments to take one over the other based on who your first round pick was, maybe your second round pick if you're in a shallower league and, and your philosophy on, the, you know, whatever. The things I want to say about Devers is number one, you're going to look if you look back at his 2019, you're going to be like, wow, he stole eight bases. He did that in like two months, right? On June 5th, he had eight bases in 2019. He has not stolen a base since then. He didn't even attempt a stolen base in 2020. So the first thing I want to say is there aren't going to be stolen bases here, right? There's going to be a couple, like some accidental ones, but he's really not that good at it. I'm not sure why they had him run that much in 2019, but as far as the bounce back, absolutely. I'm a big fan of his bat, and I really do think that you know, the difference between like a him and a Rendon in terms of upside for 2021, they're about the same, right? The only difference is we've seen Rendon do it more than we've seen Devers do it. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is, right? There's a lot to like here. I, I think there's a high-end bat. I think we could definitely see 30 home runs. We could definitely see 100 RBI. We could definitely see a good batting average. It's just less locked in than it is for like Anth- uh, for Anthony Rendon. Yep. And something to note about Devers, first 21 games of last season – Batted 183 with a 239 OBP and 317 slugging. And then from August 18th on, that's the last 36 games of his season, he was the Devers of old. 307 batting average, 350 OBP, and 573 slugging. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because what happens is in a regular length season like we're going to have, that stuff fixes itself. Mm -hmm. That month-long slump or whatever, it's – 
you don't even remember it at the end of 162, right? Because it balances out. We didn't have that in 2020. So you know what Joe just did, like breaking that down in two parts, it's really good to know because you see the Devers we expected in that chunk, right? I'm not saying you should always look at first half, second half, and go, oh, second half's more important. But what if you see a chunk of time where it looks like the player you thought he was, that's very telling. That means it's still in there, right? And it means that he could have kept doing that. Especially last season where it was very abnormal the way that the season started with the – you had the spring training – in March, then you had you know that big break, and then you had that spring training too in July. So you have some players, no matter how talented they are, they might have had some issues uh, getting the ball rolling. And I think Devers is a good example of that. So Eugenio Suarez from the Reds, and the, we talked about this with a lot of Red players, how just basically the whole team slumped. But uh, he, in particular, had a rough, rough year. 202 batting average uh, last season. The power was still there. He was uh, 15 home runs in 57 games. And, you know, he's a guy that you basically pencil him in for 35 to, to 45 home runs every year. Still barreled the ball a ton last year. You talked about uh, his, his strikeouts uh, as being a big issue uh, last season. Yeah, I mean, there, there's been a big spike in his strikeout rate over the last two years, and it's not a mirage. It has been climbing and climbing and climbing. And it seems like it may have plateaued a little in 2020, but it plateaued at like 30%. I mean, he's really turning into a more you know, three true outcomes kind of guy, which you know isn't my favorite. It really impacts your batting average. But let's be clear. I mean, this is a, a favorite stat. You're going to hear this all over the airwaves. But since the start of 2018, exactly one hitter has more home runs than Eugenio Suarez. And it's Mike Trout, right? So whenever you're on a leaderboard and it's you and Mike Trout, it means you're really good. Whatever that stat is, right? Uh, that, that's a really important thing to point out. And, you know, I, I'm still hurting as a Tigers fan. We traded him for Alfredo Simone, who you might not even remember. Uh, and, and it never should have happened, but we did. And, and it makes me sad. I really like the power. I mean, like, it, there's only so many guys. You know, I said this on the PL Shorts. There's only so many guys that you can, like, feasibly put a bet on to hit 50 home runs. Eugenio Suarez is one of them. Yeah. So... There's that upside where he like leads Major League Baseball in home runs. Again, very few guys you can actually say that about and and be serious and and not just be like blowing smoke, right? But the batting average could be really bad. I don't think it will be two like two hundred. I don't think it'll be two twenty. You don't think he's a Joey Gallo kind of guy, do you? No, but I I do think that like if he ended the season with a two forty batting average, I kind of shrug my shoulders and go, yeah, that can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if he continues to strike out at thirty percent, yeah, like, and and I don't know why he's made this change, right? Now, some of it might just be like swinging for more fences. It's not like the fences are all that far back in Great American, right? So, there, there's not like we might be getting some benefit out of the way he's swinging and and how like how he's not to being particularly selective. But you got to accept the strikeouts. So if you're in a league that hurts you for strikeouts. Like, don't expect him to come back to what we saw in 2018. This is not a mirage. It's strikeout. The new strikeout rate is real, but the power is also very, very real. So just know what you're getting into. Yep. Uh, this is your solid tier. It also includes Kevin Biggio, but we spoke a lot about him uh, in last week's episode in the uh, second base a position breakdown. Also, uh, this tier includes Matt Chapman, who's uh, coming back from hip surgery. The Oakland A, you can get him in the ninth round. Yeah, and I, I don't know a lot about hip surgery, right? I don't, I can't sit here and say like, oh, this is going to, this is going to impact him like this or like that. Uh, I'm sort of going with, with 
Chapman, I'm really just going with what I already know about the guy, what we've seen for a couple of years now, right? He hit the ball really, 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 really hard in 2020. Three straight seasons, top 4% of hitters in exit velocity. He hits the ball really hard, right? The problem is, like, he didn't hit as many fly balls, and you want Matt Chapman hitting the ball in the air because he hits it really, really hard. He turned those into live drives. Those are really hard to get out of the park, especially in the Coliseum, right? It's it's big. So, you know, what you love to see is him maybe like not strike out so much. 35.5% of the time last season, that, that was not great, right? Um, he chased the ball a bit more. That's not terribly pleasant, right? But we did see him, you know, we still saw him hitting the ball very hard. So that, that skill is still there, right? I think he can make these adjustments. I think he can be a 35 to 40 home run guy, but the batting average won't be good. It'll be better in OBP leagues, right? He's one of these guys that you pump up because he's willing to take a walk. Right. But the batting average, like, sub 250. Yeah, and I'm not a doctor either. Uh, I mean, my wife watches a lot of ER reruns, but still that doesn't qualify me to comment on, on hip surgery. But the good news is is that he's been DHing. Uh, now he's starting to play defense. So looks like everything is going into place. Hopefully he'll uh, be the Matt Chapman of old. And uh, as we move into uh, Tier 4, your back-end starters, Yoan Mankata, who you could get in the eighth round or so, based on his ADP. He slumped terribly last year, talked about the uh, residual effects from COVID, and said that basically he just found it hard to just get the energy to stay on the field. Yeah, and we're going to hear about this more. If you watch White Sox games early on this season, just be ready to hear this storyline over and over and over again, right? Um, even Haw- you know, Hawk Harrelson, for all, you know, for all of his loving on the White Sox, he's going to talk about this too, right? It's going to interrupt his love of White Sox just to talk about COVID and its effect on Yoan Makata. And the fact is, we just don't really know what kind of production he would have had if not for that, right? Because that's the thing with COVID. We don't, we still don't know that much about it and its effect on the body long term. So is there risk there potentially, right? But it's blind risk. We don't actually know what that risk is. So, and it might be nothing. So if you are a hyper-conservative type of drafter, like, yeah, you, you might knock Yuan Mankata down here. I don't know how much further you'd go from this because the upside's crazy because he's ridiculously athletic. In fact, one of my favorite things about Yuan Mankata was this guy, he used to walk at this really high clip, but he also used to get burned all the time on these, like, edge-of-the-zone strikeouts. And famously, in, like, 2018, he was just getting crushed by taking these pitches that were close. And one day, I mean, the White Sox are a very aggressive team overall. Their hitting philosophy as a team is very aggressive. And what they did, they just went to Yon Mankata and said, hey, dude, you know that you're really good at swinging the bat? You have really good bat control. You're really athletic. Just swing. Just hit the ball on the edge. You can still do so much damage. You know, way more than a single, right? So I, he actually makes this change in, in 2019. What we see is he starts striking out more, walking less, but hitting better, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And it, the reason I bring that up is, just because a player changes their plate discipline to less walks, more strikeouts, doesn't mean it's bad. In this case, it was very good. He was taking too many pitches, pitches he could have done something with, right? And now he's not. So if he is healthy, we're talking about a 30 home run, maybe 10 stolen bases, an okay, not great batting average. Um, but yeah, and at a better OBP, he doesn't walk at a ridiculous rate, but he does walk more. But yeah. If you watch it, I mean, he's still freakishly athletic. COVID didn't take it, didn't take all that away from him. It, it did it impact his his conditioning? Did it impact his? You know, he was feeling tired a lot. Yes. Is that over now? I think so. Right? That's what we're hearing. 
maybe it's true, right? He doesn't have any reason to lie, but he also doesn't have a whole lot of reason to tell us the truth. But there's a very good player in there, and it's coming at a discount. So, I mean, I think it's very much someone to be on your board. I take him for his word. I mean, uh, but on the other hand, too, let's face it. It's easy to blame a bad season on COVID, and that's terrible of me to say. But when you look at his career, I agree with you. Uber talented, you know, tremendous skill set. But you look at his career, and 2019 was his breakout. Batted 315, 25 home runs, 10 stolen bases. This is what we were waiting for. You know, the, the year before, he led the league with 217 strikeouts. So, uh, you know, you, like you said, you, you take that that big year that he had, then you take a look at all the other seasons. He's batting 232, <laughs> other than uh, the season uh, 2019 where he batted 315. So, look, I'm not going to call the guy a liar. I'm hoping that he does bounce back. I don't have any shares of him as of yet, but, you know, at his ADP, he could really be a draft day bargain. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, like I blame COVID on all kinds of things, right? We all do. Sure. We're like, oh yeah, COVID. Uh, you know, we all do that. I'm not. I'm really just joking, right? Like, I don't believe Mankata's lying to us. What I do believe is that 2019 is very indicative of his skill set, and I'm still very much in on it. I like that the price has come down a lot than it, you know, from where it was in 2020 gra- drafts, and you're just. Like you, I don't have any shares, but that doesn't mean I don't want them. It just exactly. means I haven't gotten them yet. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's early in the draft season. So uh, so we could skip around here. Uh, next few guys in this tier are Max Muncie, Jeff McNeil, who we've spoken about. We've even spoken about Alex Baum, but if you just want to say a word or two about him, hyped up prospect who actually delivered last season. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's big power. That's what we've got, you know, the... There's a lot of power here. There's also, but more importantly than the power, right? Like he does have power, right? probably like 25 home run, right? Like when I say big power, I don't mean like silly big. It's just, you know, a plenty, right? What's really big is the hit tool. And I love seeing players with a good hit tool, right? Like we've actually been surprised by players and they overperform their power grades that we saw as prospects because the hit tool is so good. And, there, you know, famously Ichiro was a guy who always talked about home runs aren't about power. They're about timing. Mm-hmm. Right. If you square that, if you square up a 95 mile an hour fastball and you're a big league level hitter, you can hit that ball over the fence. Right. Um, and, I mean, some of that was just an excuse for me to talk about Ichiro because I love Ichiro. But I love young guys with good hit tools. We saw it right away. He only struck out 20 percent of the time in his debut, despite only playing 63 games in double A and never went to triple A. That's really, really impressive. So I, I really like that. I like that he's in a very good lineup in Philadelphia. They, there's a lot of a lot of solid pieces in the middle of that, and uh, so I think he can rack up some counting stats. And really, I, I there's a lot of upside here. It's not silly upside, right? But it, but it's good. And you know, if you're into baseball cards, his is the main rookie card on the year so far. So you know, another reason to root for him. If you got a couple of those squirreled away, like I do, you know, I, you I, if I need another reason to root about, I don't need another reason to root for baseball right i love What's baseball the big bomb card uh, who's the the manufacturer uh so tops right so oh, tops okay. is they're the only licensed one for mlb and alec bohm is the main rookie from series one there'll be more coming forward in fact my favorite guy was Tarek scooble he's also in series one but you know Bohm's another another reason to root for the kid and why not right there's a lot of things to like how much would I have to pay for an Alex Baum uh, card right now? Uh, an Alex Baum card? I mean, just like the base card, it isn't that. It's just a couple bucks, right, right. for a single base paper card. No, yeah. I mean, it's, it's 
could ri- rise. Yeah, I mean, the autos are obviously more valuable. Refractors are more valuable. But the base card, I mean, I got a couple of those. And I'm, I'm hoping, right? I'm hoping. There you go. All right, let's move in uh, to Tier 5. We could skip around a little bit. But Chris Bryan is someone uh, I want to talk about. Get him basically around the 10th round in a 12th team a draft. Another guy who really slumped very badly. 206, 293, 351 slash line last season. I'm going to give him a little bit of a mulligan here. Uh, hate to make excuses for him, but dealt with a bunch of injuries, including back, wrist, oblique. Then he had this problem with his stomach. I mean, is he just not elite anymore? I mean, you know, I know he just made that peace offering to the Cubs, saying that you know maybe he would consider staying there for the long term. You know, I, I love your rolling chart that showed uh, that after his MVP se- season in 2016, hard hit rate took a downturn. But this guy's not finished, is he? No, he's not finished. The real question is, what is normal Chris Bryant? When when did we last see it? What what was it, right? I, I'm pretty confident it's not what we saw in like 2015, 2016, right? It's not that I don't think he's an MVP caliber player at this point, right? But I don't know really what he is, which is kind of nice that his that his draft stock has taken a hit because you can actually try to find out without breaking the bank. But you know, we've seen some bad stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, he won that rookie of the year, followed up with the MVP. Since then, he's been good, not great. And part of the reason his draft stock has been so high historically is because we all thought, well, he can go back to that. He can go back to 2016. But that was five years ago. And he's not gone back to that. Right? We've, we've seen four full seasons. We've seen good stuff. But we've also seen him miss a lot of time. And we missed time in 2018. You know, he struggled through injury in 2020 and, and overall the hard hit rate, it's not terrible, but it's come down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So the real question is, what do you think his ceiling is? And, and for me, it's a, it's a good third baseman. It's like a right. top 10 ish third baseman, right? Like, so somewhere in those, those top three tiers, right? So yeah, so it's about top 10. I don't know that it's a whole lot better than that. Like, I don't think he moves up into the second tier. I don't think that, I don't think there's any reality where he finishes as the number one third baseman. But he could be a top 10 one at a not top 10 price. So, you know, if you've waited a while in the draft or maybe you've got, you know, your draft room might be particularly cold on Bryant. There might be some upside there, but you don't want to force it because, again, 2016 ain't coming back. I actually in the TGFBI draft that we talked about to open up the show, you know, 15 team draft. I was going to pick him up. I, I waited on third base because, let's face it, it's a deep position. It does have some question marks, you know, as, as we're talking about a guy like Chris Bryan. I was going to take him in the ninth round, which in a 12-teamer in a means that probably would have taken him in the 11th or, or 12th. But uh, I got beaten to him, and then I had to end up taking K. Brian Hayes uh, for the Pirates. But we'll talk about him in a few minutes. Gio Urshela. I love Gio Urshela. I mean, the guy, when he first came up uh, with the Yankees, he was just supposed to be just all glove, no hit. And just an FYI, coming off the surgery to remove uh, bone chips from his elbow, fully recovered, going to be okay. But uh, what a pleasant surprise he's been offensively. Yeah, and surprise is the key word here, right? Like we we didn't necessarily expect him to be quite this good, right? Because he hadn't been. We had right. seen, you know, before he gets to New York, we had sort of seen him be really not good. Yeah. <laughs> and... All of a sudden, right? Yeah, all glove yeah. and no hit. All of a sudden, right? In his last like 175 games, it's 27 home runs. It's over 100 RBI. Like even if you, I mean, hitting well over 300 in that span, 
I don't really know what what to expect. I, I mean, I have to think it's more of this, right? I don't have any reason to believe it's not. Yeah. So, you know, instead of instead of me just pontificating about what I think he could be, you know, I'll tell you that I projected him somewhere with like 285 with 25 home runs. Like, it, steals aren't in there. That's just not a part of his game. But I think he could do that. And there's a really great article on our site by Lucas Zenobi. Uh, it's, you know... It, it's a little, you know, it's been around for a little while, but I really suggest you go read that because he really dives more into Urshela. And if this is a guy you want to believe in, Zenobi will tell you why you should. Yep. Uh, check out PitcherList.com for tremendous, tremendous content. Let's move on to Josh Donaldson, who you could pick up in the 16th round. And I agree with what you said in your article about him that, look, if he plays 150 games, he's going to get 30 home runs. He's very good in OBP leagues. The average is not what it used to be, probably like a 250, 260. Question is, that chronic calf issue, and it hurt me personally last season. I mean, I drafted him late in one of my uh, leagues, and, you know, he gets that calf injury, and the twins kind of talked it down. Oh, he'll be back, you know, maybe in a week or so, and then all of a sudden he's gone for a month, and then you hear uh, before the start of this season how that early on it doesn't look like he's going to be playing every single game to start the season. And, of course, you know, in April it's kind of cold, so maybe it's not a bad idea. But maybe getting to 150 games might be a little tough uh, for him this season. If not impossible, right? I yeah. mean, that that's just that's asking a lot for a player who has had chronic injury, who's now you know 35 years old, which isn't old in real life, but it is old in baseball. Right. I, I think... If you're projecting 150, you know, I say that he could, you know, he'll definitely hit 30 home runs if he plays 150 games, but I also don't think he'll play 50 games, but could still also hit 30 home runs, right? Like, it's just less certain, but right. we saw him do, I mean, it's been a little while, but in 2017, he had 33 home runs and 113 games, right? We've seen him go on some ridiculous tears, so I, I do think there's a lot of power here, but the risk is so high yeah. that he doesn't that he doesn't play enough. So if you're in a 10 or a 12-team league, I like taking him as like a util guy. You're not relying on him at third base, but he's a util guy. And if it doesn't work out, you got to throw him on the IL. You throw him on the IL, you find some other util, right? He'd probably be the best one, potentially, right? Huge upside, huge risk, which is why, especially in a shallower league, I just don't like the idea and why I've ranked him 17th is I don't like the idea of him as my starting third baseman. But having him on the roster as like a utility guy who can also play third, I love that. Right. Love that. And you can do that in drafts. He, he's not so highly valued that you have to take him as a starter. And, and that's really where he's best served. Like in TGFBI, he's much better served as a, a good corner infield yes. than a back end third baseman, simply because it's easier to fill that corner infield spot on the waiver wire than it is third base because you have, you know, in theory, twice as many players you can look at. And you know you're going to have to replace that spot at some point this season for some amount of time. It might be 10 games, it might be 20, it might be 50, it might be 75. You're going to have to replace that time. So don't put yourself in a position where you need him to play more than 120 games. Deeper league options. Key Brian Hayes, I talked about picking him up in the ninth round of my 15-team TG FBI league. I also, just to give you a little more reference, my second pick overall was DJ LeMahieu, so I could stick him in at third base as well. And I had also picked up a little earlier, or actually later, Nick Madrigal, so I could punch him into second base. So got a lot of moving parts. But nice start to his big league career, just 24 games, uh, 376, 442, 682, slugging. Of course, we have to temper our expectations, though, don't we? I mean, yeah. Yeah, we do. 
He's not going to be 376 this year. He'll be at 400, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the growth is linear, Joe. That's how it works. <laughs> they, they always go up. So I'm so glad he started high because he can only go up. Right. Uh, you know, the thing about Hayes is just going to be that if you rank him the way I do, you won't get Cabrian Hayes. That's just not how the draft is going to work out for you. So, you know, do you, you know, give your, if you need a reason to believe in Cabrian Hayes, it's how he started out, right? Because uh, he was hot, no doubt about it. But I'm projecting him for fewer than 20 home runs, fewer than 10 stolen bases. And the counting stats won't be great because Pittsburgh's terrible. Right? The offense is just not good. So I am uh, not exactly bullish on Cabrian Hayes, and that means I'll never get a chance to take him in drafts. Even though I think there is upside, a lot of people are higher on him than I am. And I've just accepted that. Like It's not like I took him off my draft board. I just sort of already accept the reality that he's going to go before I'm ready to take him. Mm-hmm. And as we finish off the third base position, we're going to be moving into the catcher position. These uh, deeper league options, Austin Riley, Justin Turner, Tommy Edmond, J.D. Davis, Andres Jimenez. Uh, any of them spark your interest? I mean, you know what you're getting with Justin Turner, right? It's just a question of how many games he's going to play. He'll play enough to be relevant. Some people thinking that Austin Riley could break out this season, finally see his breakout. Yeah, I mean, the thing about this tier is there's a lot of upside in it, and there's also a lot of downside. For example, with Austin Riley. We've seen him be very good. We've also seen him be like among the worst starting players in Major League Baseball. We saw that really towards the really second half of his debut in 2019. He was really, really not good, striking out like 40% of the time. I mean, just even unplayable in a 15-team league. That's where the basement is on him, and we've seen it happen. It's not a theoretical basement. It's a real one. So so that's pretty scary. I mean, as far as like excitement, I'd love to see Andres Jimenez in a place where I'm certain he's going to play every day. But the fact of the matter is he's in a competition with Ahmed Rosario. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are competing for infield time because the Cleveland just had to go out and sign Cesar Hernandez right. for reasons I cannot understand and decide to lead him off when they they could have just done this with him and as and it doesn't make sense to me. But here we are. So, you know, if you are drafting later in the offseason, like Jimenez is a guy who I could really be bumping up if I hear he's just winning the job and the team has found something else to do with Ahmed Rosario. Trade him, whatever they're going to do with him, right? That that would really be ideal for me because then I'm like, okay, there's 25 steal upside here. He can have some good batting average, maybe hit 10, 12 home runs. That'd be great. But as of right now, a part-time playing Andre Jimenez is not really rosterable in a 10 to 12 team league. It's just not. So in a 15 team league, the steals are just always going to make him in play and he's very draftable, but it's late. And I had had my eye on him. And the fact of the matter is he was in my queue for like four or five rounds and I never took him and someone else ended up taking him. But the fact that he stayed on my queue for that long and I still never took him is sort of indicative of that's the problem. Every time I looked, I just said, yeah, but he might only play 120 games and he's not good enough to be usable if he's only playing 120 games. Right. So he needs a full-time job. All right. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, I picked him up in the uh, 27th round, a little uh, bench depth for my TGFBI draft. Uh, last guy I'll talk about third base, then we move to catcher and could spend like a second on him. But Carter Kaboom, is, looks like he's going to be given the opportunity once again to be the starting third baseman for the Nationals. 
uh, true dart throw at this stage, a former overall top 25 prospect. Hey, he had LASIK surgery. Does that uh, excite you? I mean, I'm happy for him. (laughs) I hope he sees better, right? Uh, You know, the best thing I can say about him right now has nothing to do with his production on the field, but uh, Shelly V loved him at one point. Uh And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Shelly V, and she at one time had good feelings about him. So that's enough. That was enough for me to put him in the sort of also ran, you know, guys to consider, but he's not ranked. And I would yeah, probably need to see great. several weeks of production before I ranked him. Oh, yeah. He's a replacement guy. Uh, not going to be drafted uh, in almost any format. But uh, all right. So thanks uh, for your expertise at the third base position. Let's move over to catchers. So for me, my general strategy, waiting on catchers, especially in a, a shallow league and a one catcher league like we've been talking about, the 12 teamers. Yeah. And. The only reason I think that you'll break from that strategy, because I really like it, the only reason you'll break from it is that everyone in your league is waiting on catcher, and you have a chance to take a very good one at a discounted price. So that's the only reason I think you should break. And really, the you know I, I talk about mock drafting so much, and it's because at the end of the day, like all of you are, presumably are living, breathing people, and you have emotions, and you have to know what you're going to be thinking. Because I know that in my TGFBI league, it's a two-catcher league, Will Smith hung around for a long time. And I had sort of been targeting other catchers who you know, were in theory cheaper and was going to keep waiting and waiting. And I didn't pull the trigger, but man, I almost did. And the only reason I didn't is because I've tried that build and I failed at it every time. I, I just could not put together a team where I used one of the top five catchers. I, I just couldn't. I, I Every time I tried, I always hated my team. So I, I stayed away from it, even though he hung around longer than I thought he would. So, you know, try it out, right? Like, there's not much to say about JT Realmuto, my number one catcher. You already knew that. You don't have to read the article. You knew that. That's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're going to take him, this is less about me saying why you should or shouldn't take JT Realmuto. There's strategies for both, right? There, there's, you know, a lot of auction calculators will tell you he's worth that, uh, you know, high price you pay. At the end of the day, it's sort of like quarterback in fantasy football, right? Like there's a lot of good reasons to take a quarterback really early in your draft. But you have to know how to build your team after that because it's different because you're not used to filling that. You're used to getting a high-end outfielder or something at that spot instead of catcher. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, if you haven't practiced building a roster using a high-end catcher and an earlier pick on catcher, you're going to it could really turn out poorly for you. That's not something I would ever want to be trying in the real draft. So basically you're saying that if you do decide to take one of these catchers like a JT Real Muto who went in the 4th round of my TGFBI draft and and Will Smith who went in the 7th round that then you, you need to know what you're going to do next, right? Yeah, you have to have a plan, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't it's silly to say well it's a good value because value drafting doesn't work that way. Like you don't win your league because you had the most value on draft day. You win your league because you had the most stats at the end of the season, right? Now value is an important thing to think about, but don't just take a guy because it's a good value there. Because if you don't know how to build a team around that, that value is going to go nowhere, right? You're going to have it. And then what? Why are you at the end of the season? Are you going to get a, you're going to get a payout and a trophy or whatever for most value on draft day? 
No, you're going to finish ranked ninth or whatever and be mad at yourself, right? And I'm not saying the reason is because you took one of these catchers. I'm going to say the reason is because you did something that you never prepared for. That's a really good way to not do good at this. Maybe that's another way of playing fantasy, you know, like giving a prize to the drafter who gets the best grade. Well, yeah, it's always right? me, right? Like, I, I love my, I, I just, you know, I love my draft. Give me my money back, right? <laughs> and we're still going to play it out, though. We're still going to play it out, and I want that prize, too. Uh, Will Smith, do you think he takes over the number one fantasy catcher uh, spot no. next year? <laughs> no. Uh, no, but you still think it's going to be Riamuto, huh? Not because he can't, because I don't think the Dodgers are going to let him. They love playing Austin Barnes. Yeah. So, it, uh, I Barnes catches um, Clayton Kershaw, doesn't he? Isn't he like his yeah. personal catcher? He's he's a good defensive catcher, mm-hmm. and uh that's going to be the problem. Right? I don't see how Will Smith could overtake Real Muto and play also play 25 less games than he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he's got more power, whatever, he's not that like he's not that much better at the plate than Real Muto, but he's going to play less. So that's why he's you know not in the same tier. Right. Salvador Perez, eighth round. Wilson Contreras from the Cubs, tenth round. There were rumors that the Cubs were listening to offers. Who knows? They might still be. He might be gone middle of, of the season. Any of these two guys interest you at, at that ADP, eighth, tenth round? Yeah, no, not really. Because again, personally, I have a really hard time building a team and using those picks there. If you like Perez, it's because you like having that advantage at catcher, and because I think he's going to play like a hundred. Like the Royals just. They've never, they've never felt like Perez can't play I, unless he's like literally on the IL. The Royals put him out there, right? And it's not like there's another catcher prospect in in the wings. He's going to play a ton, so he's going to accumulate, and he can still hit, right? Presumably, and with Contreras, like again, pretty good hitter. You know, two fifty five with twenty home runs, maybe a little bit better than that. Um. But not that much better, right? Mm. And at that draft price, like two fifty-five and twenty home runs, that's not what you'd be drafting in other positions. You'd be getting much better. So, not not crazy about it. In fact, if there's a guy I like in this tier uh, because the price is down a bit, it's Yasmani Grandal. He did struggle in 2020, but there's huge upside in a power lineup uh, on the south side of Chicago, and the OBP will be really good. The batting average might not be, but. This is like a this is a guy that could hit 25 to 30 home runs. Like we've yeah. seen real power in his bat. So it's less, you know, sometimes with a guy like Contreras, it's not that he's a great producer, it's that he's just better than other catchers. Like Grandol actually could be a very good producer like at at other positions. And that's why I like his upside, right? I like, like I like Grandel. I like his OBP. You know, like you said his batting average is not going to help you at all, but beware. Dealing with a knee injury, he twisted it. Uh, while he was uh, participating in team drills. And the White Sox kind of downplayed it, but latest news I saw was that he was still sidelined. So here's a guy with McMahon going over to the Mets. He's going to get, they expected him to get the bulk of catching duties, and in 2019 caught 153 games, 2018 caught 140. This guy's a workhorse, and if he's got like a, I don't want to overstate it and say, wow, this guy's going to have a chronic knee issue for the rest of the year, but it's just something to note. Yeah, absolutely. These are the kind of things that you're, you write it down or you, you take note of it. And then I'm not saying you should ignore it, but you should ignore it for a while, right? Because because it's really hard to know what these team strategies are going to be in terms of manag- managing injuries. They're not terribly forthcoming about it. So don't 
don't go overboard speculating mm-hmm. uh, because you know he didn't play in the game today, right? It, it that's not what you should do. It's just something you should keep in mind. I agree, but at the same time, if there are two players that you value equally and one is dealing with a little bit of an injury. You know, for me, I'm a conservative drafter. So, uh, you know, I would go with the one that doesn't have the injury. But you're right. Look, we're talking March 7th here. So you have a great point. But uh, another guy that I think you and I both agree on, and you get him in the 14th round of a typical 12-team draft, is a Travis Darnot. Yeah, yeah, huge fan. And it all boils down to the fact that, number one, he's got a good bat. Number two, unlike a lot of catchers, he bats fifth. In a really good lineup, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to bat right behind Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna. I kind of want anyone that was going to be batting behind those guys, right? Like, I'm sort of interested any position. And it just so happens to be a position that's hard for me to fill with a good player. Darno isn't terribly expensive on draft day. Um, he's, I mean, he drove in, like, in his last 120 games with the race, like, in his last 120 games, he's got 94 RBI, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the next best catcher is Riomuto, and he has 80, right? Like, significantly better in RBI, and part of that is hitting fifth behind Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna, right? Like, that's a prime lineup spot. They've stuck Darno there, and especially as we start getting further down the catcher ranks, you're going to hear me say, I like him because he doesn't bat last. Mm-hmm. And that's our he bats in the middle. There's just not that many of those. Yep. Next guy on your rankings was... Uh, Christian Vasquez, Red Sox catcher, also get him around the 14th round. Doesn't hurt that as a right-handed hitter, he's been pulling the ball a little bit more uh, with that green monster. Uh, He's been uh, pulling the ball a little bit more over the past couple seasons. Yeah, and he's got back-to-back top five finishes as a catcher, right? Fourth in 2019, fifth last year. He steals a couple bases, and that's cool out of the catcher spot, but it's not enough to make a huge difference. Fact is, he's got a good bat, and guess what? He bats in the middle of the order. That's a really good way to beat other catchers. You get more at-bats than they do. Mm-hmm. Christian Vasquez is that guy. He gets more at-bats, and he's pretty good at hitting. And, I mean, that's it doesn't take much to be a good fantasy catcher these days, and that's basically the formula. He and Darno, pretty good hitters, hit in the middle of a lineup. And we go from pretty good hitters to pretty bad hitter in Gary Sanchez. You can still get in the 13th round based on his ADP of 150. Uh, as a Yankee fan, you know, I've I've watched them and I I really feel badly for this guy because he just totally looks lost, lunging at pitches totally out of the uh, strike zone. He's extremely slow on the base paths, uh, and I give Eno Saris credit for this observation. With him being so slow, infielders could play deeper against them, gives them time to set themselves when he hits the ball because he hits the ball real hard, but. He just runs so slow that he keeps on getting thrown out. And like I said, it just lunges at pitches. But that being said, he has a probably best bet to get 30 home runs from this position. Yeah, no doubt about it. Right. He's he's just got a ton of power and not much else. Right. Right. So ultimately, if you're in a place where that batting average doesn't bother you. Sure. Go for it. Right. If you and you're desperate for power, because I'll tell you what. Nobody else we're going to talk about. I mean, maybe Mitch Garver, but nobody else has that kind of power upside, right? right. Not not close. Like he, yeah. If he plays 100 games, he'll hit 30 home runs. The problem is everything else. Right. Um, so we could move on and talk about well, just quickly Austin Nola, late bloomer, but in some respects, it's been worth the wait. Only been catching since 20. 20- 
16, but already developed excellent pitch framing skills. So you know that his bat will be in the lineup, no? Yeah, and quite frankly, it, it's more of a uh, he, he plays extra because he can also play other positions. Not that the Padres really need him to, but he can, right? So he, he usually finds a way to get in the lineup. And, you know, quite frankly, he, he's really good with the bat. He's really good at hitting breaking balls, right? So that's something really interesting, and it's a good way for him to stay in the lineup. And, you know, he's not going to blow you away with home runs. Like 20 is the ceiling, quite frankly. But you could probably hit 260, 270. You know, with those home runs, how much different is that than like a Wilson Contreras, right? Mm-hmm. Not that much, and it's a whole lot cheaper. And, and that, you know, I really like him as a back-end catcher. Sean Murphy, Oakland A, had two surgeries this offseason to repair a collapsed lung. So write that down and, and, and keep track of his progress. But other than that, you know, I, I love him, but obviously this is this is obviously very concerning. And then we can move into uh, some of your back-end starters. You mentioned Mitch Garver and James McCann. Uh, so of these two, who do you think is the safer of these guys? I mean, how much of a chance do you give Garver on, on bouncing back? I mean, uh, he had uh, some in the low-grade right intercostal strain that happened in late August and early September. But prior to that, he was slumping. Yeah, so I'm going to answer this in, in sort of two ways. If I'm in a deep league, I'd rather have McCann. I know he's going to play. I know he's going to play a lot. And even if he's not as good as he was, he'll be fine, right? His basement is fine enough in a, like a TGFBI. Garver, that's what I'm after in a 10 or 12 team, one catcher league, because he has upside to make a difference. McCann does, I guess, but I think it's, le- it's, it's less upside. And at this point, we're talking about guys who, if they're not good for three weeks, cut them, cut them and replace them with someone who is. We are in streaming territory here, and that is the yeah. probably most. If you didn't take a decent catcher, if you didn't take someone from like eh, maybe the first three tiers, right, and even the back end of the third tier, um, if if you took some, if you didn't take someone on like the front half of the the third tier, you're going to be streaming. Let these guys go and pick up someone who's doing better, right? Like if if Garver's not doing well at the end of April, cut him. Pick up you know Alejandro Kirk. Do something. You know, something else. Just just keep burning and churning until you find something that sticks. And when it stops working, cut them and move on to the next. Yeah, and as we finish off the uh, catcher position and the podcast, we have the uh, deeper league options. Uh, just talking about basically dice rolls here. Uh, Dalton Varsho, little power, little speed. Injury to uh, Cole Calhoun opens up some playing time for him in the outfield. So outfield catcher uh, eligibility. Love your guy, Wilson Ramos. I think maybe 275, 13 to 15 home runs, maybe. And I'd say your guy, obviously, because he's a Tiger. And you mentioned Alejandro Kirk. Great upsize, but does he get enough at-bats? Just a lot of question marks throughout here. Like, if I was going to highlight guys, you know, it's not Wilson Ramos, and if you're in a deep league, because he's going to get a ton of playing time. If you're in a more shallow league, I, I think Dalton Varsho is a decent, like, last-pick catcher, <clears throat> if you can wait that long. Uh, to try to start him. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, cut him. Uh, Alejandro Kirk is feels a lot like Willens Ostadio 2.0, except I hope it works out better. Uh, you know, bigger guy, lots of contact, not a ton of power, um, but you know, Kirk is is it's exciting enough, right? It, he just might not end up being anything. Um, then the rest, of, I mean, really, the rest of this, we're at catcher. These guys take. 
if you need one in a two catcher league, take whoever you think is going to play. Yeah. If you're in a 12 team league or, or a single, even a 15 team single catcher league, you can stop reading the article like halfway through. I mean, I put, I'm not saying I didn't put work in. I'm just saying like, you don't need to know this stuff. You're going to care a lot more about the regular season context. Cause these you are going to be streamers. There's no exam at the end of the season where, you know, we, we test them. No, I mean, I'd love to do that. Right. But then I'd have to grade it. Right. And that, that's, that just sounds horribly tedious. So, like some some interesting prospects in the back here, like Adley Rushman, Sam Huff, but Joey Bart. I don't know how much you're going to play. It doesn't really matter. I had to dig deep in the well to get to 30 catchers. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that's just how the position is. There you go. Uh, two catcher league is a tough league to play in, no, no doubt. So hey, we we did it, Scott. We got through third base catcher. Uh, and great analysis from you. Thanks for uh, everyone for allowing us to visit with you this week. Please give us a follow on Twitter at Hacks and Jacks PL. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. You could follow me, Joe Galina, at Joe Galina uh, on Twitter. And then Scott, follow him at If the Chew Fits. And I uh, hope all of your uh, fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time. 